0: welcome to the movement made better podcast powered by stick mobility we are your hosts dennis dunphy and neil valera hello everyone and welcome to the movement made better podcast today our guests are dan duran and israel L. thanks gentlemen for joining us today thank you for being on our podcast Dan, we'll start with you. Give yourself a little intro to the listeners. I'll try to make it really quick here. My name's Dan, and I've been with
1: PTA Global as an employee for five and a half years, as a contractor employee, or going back about eight years, and as a fan since it started. Uh, I was very fortunate to get to be uh, mentored by a very good friend of mine, Rodney Korn, who was a co-founder of the company and was the CEO or COO uh, when I was hired. In 2015. In a nutshell, my, my background is actually uh, primarily training. So I spent a career with the state of California, worked for them for 22 years, uh, primarily law enforcement, where mm-hmm. I ended up being an academy director and um, running statewide training for all of our officers. So Training's my passion and the topics I primarily focused on were anything, what we call the manipulative skills, anything that had to do with movement, you know, use of force, etc. It was just lucky to uh, fall into this and be surrounded by great people that do a great job. And here I am very blessed and lucky to be a part of the, the company.
2: Fantastic. Israel? So I have in the industry, I don't know, close to 20 years now. I started as a personal trainer. I I did that until I figured out what I wanted to do. Like a lot of trainers figured out I could actually make some money off it. And I kind of fell in love with the business. I fell in love with what we do day in, day out, I fell in love with the struggle. And so then, you know, my main mission was to try to figure out how to make money out of this. So then I had a you know kind of a personal mission of, you know, I want to be a trainer that makes six figures. And so did that, but put in about 70 hours a week and realized that man, I got a baby on the way and can't do this forever. So my mission changed to I want to teach trainers how to do this. I want to teach trainers how to make six. And so had a lot of success in doing that in the kind of the corporate world with the large club chain. Moved up the ranks, uh, to fitness manager, general manager running clubs and then overseeing fitness division for several clubs at this corporation. And all the while focused on, you know, the systems and processes, of really how to match the passion with the paycheck for personal trainers, right? And feel good about doing it. I would say from there, I, I kind of was a fan of PTA Global before I was employed. PTA Global. So I actually helped select this content to drive a big piece of the education and onboarding platform for about 450 stores in this corporation. The corporation was just. And so what I realized is that although the education was really good, it lacked application, it lacked development around the tools and the skills. And so, of course, you know, it, it didn't grow legs like we thought it was going to at the, at the company. And so, again, fast forward a couple of years, I Hopped around a couple of jobs and came in contact with Dan and got the privilege and opportunity to be able to actually join a company that I was a huge fan of for for many years. Kind of spearheading their education and I'd say a big focus of connecting the education with applications specifically mm. for the trainers. You know, teaching them, okay, well, how do I make money off this? Thing? And I think that was a big part of why Dan brought me on board. Is I spoke the language of the clubs, I spoke the language of the trainer, and so I think you know, not the smartest guy in the room for sure, but I was a guy that you know could speak to the people, so to speak, uh, and help kind of connect the dots. That's a little bit longer than Dan's version, but there's there's a peek under the hood.
0: Uh, No worries. What are some distinctions that separate PTA Global from some of the other organizations out there?
1: Uh, Great question, Dennis. Uh, First and foremost, uh, there are a lot of great organizations out there, and you'll never hear anybody from, from our company say that we're better or anybody is inferior. Uh, that said, how we're different is uh, our education, thanks to the co-founders and to the folks that, that had the vision to see you know, what's missing in the industry, uh, we, we, we tend to focus on behavior. We tend to focus on communication building strong relationships building trust uh, really understanding how the mind works and you know how to leverage not only the science of uh, psychology neuropsychology etc but just the the human nature of of what obstacles the people we're trying to work with actually put in front of themselves mm-hmm. and how we can help them become more aware of that because training the body I'm not going to say it's easy. I don't think any of us would say it's easy, but it's science, and yeah. and all of the certifications, the main, the big, the gold standard certifications, do a great job explaining how to train the body. But it's the person inside the body. It's from the neck up that that becomes our biggest challenge, and uh, we set out on a mission. The co-founders did when it was created to really crack the code on being able to communicate with people and build that strong relationship from the neck up so that they could achieve what it was they wanted to achieve. And, I, and I'll just kind of add just a little bit more. And that is that the other thing that we did and do differently is we look at the body as more of a, a unit, more of a functional anatomy. So for example, the myofascial lines by Dr. Thomas Myers. So we teach you know, isolated and, uh, anatomy, physiology, joints, muscles, et cetera. But we also take a look at how the body moves as a unit so that we can not only you know take a visual type of quote unquote assessment but you know take a look at how somebody's moving and but more importantly making sure that we we're, we're loading and training and moving uh, in all three planes of movement and incorporating the lines which is the the myofascial lines which is actually where we we you know derive our our foundation from it's not from a individual muscle or two muscles and the last piece that we do different kind of a long answer but I'm quite proud of it is uh, the business piece. And and that is how do we build a business? And unfortunately, I think I certainly was guilty of not thinking of personal training as a business. I thought it was a a job and then it became a career, but didn't really understand that it was a business right from the get-go, but it truly, truly is. It's a business within a business within a business. And so we have a lot of education on how you build that business, how you prospect for clients, how you build, you know, utilize marketing techniques, social media techniques uh, to be able to, to build it and then measure it and find out where where is it that I can improve this business to take it to the next level.
0: And really, that's uh, such a key missing component uh, that a lot of other organizations are not including is really to teach the trainer slash coach not only the Xs and Os of how to deal with the body but really surviving the business side of everything
1: absolutely absolutely and and that's you know I, Israel says he he's not the smartest guy in the room I I I think I challenge that but I will say this uh, he's the hardest working guy in the room and what he indeed brought to uh, PTA Global that that we needed was that hands on in the trenches working with uh, literally hundreds of thousands of trainers trying to build their business. So I would actually defer to him to talk more about, you know, how we, how we've done a good job with that and how he's been able to integrate it and see it work.
0: So Israel is on the business side, are trainers really locked into that when they come into it, as this is something they really want to get an edge on, or is that something you kind of, kind of find that you're kind of maybe force feeding to people?
2: Yeah. Great question, man. So I think of it in kind of two lenses. One, a lot of trainers don't know what they don't yeah. and so a lot of trainers just because maybe a lot of their friends are starving artists they just think it's just it's it's kind of part of the badge of honor that they wear it's like hey maybe this right. profession, you just you don't make a lot of money you really do it for the people yeah. um and that's just tense you know the belief drives the behavior so their mm-hmm. belief just seems well you know no one really makes a lot of money doing this and so so i think that's a big part of we're trying to change the game the best analogy i can think of is there's a lot of trainers out there using the wrong tool when they step up to the plate. Like you're a hockey guy, right? Mm, yep. yep. Um, and so, you know, hockey's great for hockey, but you probably wouldn't step up to the plate to play a baseball game uh, with a hockey stick nope. right? or a wiffle ball bat or a golf club. So a lot of trainers are, I think you're trying to find the right tool and they're stepping up to the plate. And then eventually they, stop stepping up to the plate because they have so many swings and misses that they start to think that, okay, well, the game isn't winnable. But the entire time, they've just been using the wrong tool. And so I think for PTA Global, we're trying to give them that Louisville slugger. We're trying to give them a series of tools and systems that have reproducible outcomes. So that way, when Mm. they do step up to the plate, They make contact over and over and over again. And I think that's how we change the game in our industry too, right? We have an 80% attrition rate. Eight out of 10 personal trainers will leave in their first year. And we know that's not because they don't have enough tools under their tool belt. It's because they're not using the right tools in the right way. And candidly, they can't make a living doing what they love. And so I think a big part of my passion for joining PTA Global is, is to change that language.
0: Because I think what I found over the years is people are really surprised when you tell them that this is your career and this is your full-time job. I think we've gotten that at questions a lot of times where people are like, oh, what else do you do? And so that's kind of what we're trying to fix is that ability to say, you know, we can make this a career and sustain it so that you're not dropping out an 80% attrition rate. What we're finding today is most things are usually talking about Driving business towards you, right? But then when you get that business, what are you doing with it? Like, how are you sustaining it? How are you growing it? So you're not always basically cold calling and trying to sell yourself all the time, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and we have a, an entire section dedicated to that and it's retention, it's client retention. I think that's, uh, to your point, and it's largely overlooked. We know that it takes a lot more time and effort, which translates into money to acquire a new client than it does to retain a client. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have 10 keys to client retention. We show you how to use our tools that Israel was, was talking about, our program design questionnaire, our Kaizen 6, Decisional Balance Sheet, some of the tools that we use that, that you pull out of your tool belt periodically to 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 make sure you're delivering exactly what it is they're looking for, but also thinking outside the box. You know, uh, for example, common thought is you know I think I'm going to reward my client for doing this or that or doing a great job or Christmas or whatever it may be with a PT session. Uh, We're kind of devaluing that session when we do that, that that, that, that's, we need to be thinking outside the box. So a gift card for dinner for their family, uh, you know, uh, to see a sporting event that their son or daughter is passionate about. We need to connect with the people outside of the gym and be, and be uh, become a part of their entire life not just their one hour in the gym two to three times a week. I truly become a, a, you know a, an ally mm-hmm. and look at it that way. And, and I'm going to add just personally, that was a game changer for me because I came into this industry with a different philosophy of don't get close to people, don't let people know about mm-hmm. you, et cetera. Don't wear a wedding ring so they don't, you know, just weird things that come along with law enforcement. It took somebody teaching me at the age of 40, mm. that hey, it's okay to put your guard down and actually hug people and, and care about them, care about their kids, remember their birthdays, remember their anniversaries, and and reward them for frequency, recency, and total monetary value, which is exactly what, what we teach that, that Bobby contributed to our keys to client retention, be a life resource for them. And um, that's a game changer. It's an absolute game changer. Make sure you're delivering the service they ask for. And become a part of their life
0: so that yeah, because you're taking is showing that you're taking a vested interest in other aspects that they enjoy right?
1: exactly exactly they they. i mean the, the the ultimately when we when we interview somebody and we know this we we call it peeling the onion but we do a a an interview to determine what their goals are right maybe their time frames but when we truly pull that thing down we're going to get to the real why which we've all heard of mm-hmm. um, but when you get to the why there's always other people involved it's not just about them. And it always ends with this word, happy. It always ends with the word happy. Uh, no matter what, you keep digging and digging and you're going to hear that word. So what is it and who are the people involved and who are the people affected when you're happy and make sure that you're touching and being a part of that relationship, because that's going to take it far beyond the brick and mortar walls uh, or, or, or the, the outdoor workout or whatever you want to call it, so that you're tapping into truly into their why, because their why is outside that gym, 100% outside that gym.
0: Yeah, because that's basically what they're coming to the gym and training for is to be able to deal with what's outside the gym, right? Exactly.
1: And, yeah. and it's, and it's knowing that and remembering that. I think that's where we fall short. We'll do an interview. We'll learn about somebody. And by the next week, you've forgotten. Mm. It's, it's back to treating everybody the same. And the goal is to lift more weight. The goal is to do more push-ups. whatever it may be guilty. they made that mistake. <laughs> even with training my wife. Oh. Um, and that was the last time I trained her as a trainer and I already knew this stuff and I still messed it up because I transferred my goal to her. And you, you absolutely have to remind yourself, review, and truly understand what is motivating that person and who else is affected by it. And make sure you're tying into that. That's what we call creating an experience rather than creating a workout.
3: Yeah. I think sometimes trainers you know, fall into that, hey, I'm doing this right now. So this is really cool. I'm going to have my client do this. And then they get they, they get stuck in that, hey, we're going to chase this goal. You're going to hit this number. But in reality, that doesn't really help their client.
1: No, Yeah, you nailed it. And the last thing I'll add to that is not only circling back to their wife, but their words, the The mm-hmm. words they use when you interview them and subsequently speak to them, it's speaking, uh, using those words back to them so that they, A, know that you listened and B, now you're speaking their language, not mine. So if somebody says, I want to tone up here and they were up their belly, I don't say you want to define your rectus abdominis. It's like, no, that's not what I said. That's not what I said. I never said that. What I say is, okay, we're going to work on toning up here today. Now yeah, I'm yeah. using your body language, your words, mirroring and matching exactly what you said to me, which not only do they receive much better, but they know I'm paying attention and I care I'm treating them as an individual.
3: So how big of a percentage is the is the business part of the course? Like is it Ooh, that's, 30 40% of it or am I, it you know I would have to
1: go that's a really good question. Um, I'd have to go in and look at hours and add them up. Uh, but when, you, when when I think of business, we're talking about orientation, we're talking about a good interview, uh, program design interview, prospecting on the fitness floor, meeting people, connecting with people and the actual business part of KPIs tracking you know, how many people you've, you've reached out to, talked to, what your, your booking rate is, what your closing rate is, et cetera. All of that, I think of that as the business. Now, I'm just going to throw a number out because I don't have a spreadsheet open. Now I feel really bad because I'm a spreadsheet guy. I know Israel loves that about me. Um, but I, I would say probably if you put all that together, I'd say a good 25% of our content is business because it's all tied into the business.
0: Well, I know personally, I think that's something that I... I really wish all programs had, because I've talked, told Neil countless times. I think one of the biggest things that was missing when I got into this industry is the business side of it. And, and when I talk business, I'm not talking about just marketing and bringing people into your company, into your clientele base. I'm talking about how to manage them once they get them. And that's because and taxes and all these other things that we kind of just, you know, we just don't know how to manage it. We just want to train we want to do. But if we don't have the other stuff, it's like Israel said, we're going to find ourselves out in the cold within a year or two years. So that's one of those things we want to really lock down. Dan, really quickly, you said you you trained your wife. Would you recommend to any new burgeoning trainer or coach out there <laughs> Would you recommend training your significant other? Oh come on now you're putting me on the spot here uh, no, no, uh, no i'm not no I'm just saying generically not I'm not saying you specifically if i if you had to at tell give that piece of advice, would you say yes or no?
1: I would say it's definitely worth a try, okay because we always want to be supportive and and uh, you know of of each other in anything that we endeavor, but realize That it may not go as planned. In my case, the mistake I made was she told me she wanted to lose weight and that was her goal. And her movement style, you know, we have what we call movement styles, understanding Mm -hmm. how people like to move in a, or is it a traditional, more one-dimensional type of, you know, three sets of eight, four sets Mm -hmm. of eight, repeat the workout every Monday Or are you progressive? And that is, give me something different. Every single set, every single week. Surprise me. Hide the workout in in the fun. She's progressive. She wants to lose weight. I'm training her traditionally and uh, having her do her third set of pushups and saying, hey, I'm barking at her saying, you know, I think I said something like in two more weeks, you're going to be able to do 20 pushups. And that's when her head spun completely around 360 degrees. And a voice changed and she said, I never said I wanted to do 20 pushups. I said, I wanted to lose weight. And uh, she fired me. So if you're going to go down that road, use all of the tools. Do as I say, not as I do, right? Use those tools and truly listen and tie that right back in, just like I already said, right back into their why, right back into their goal. Make sure they're delivering what they want. Don't think that because they're a family member, yeah, you can move them outside of a box and they're going to do what you tell them to do because they're a family member still use the same tools that we teach at PTA Global. Absolutely. Give it a try.
0: Is there anything to add on to that?
2: that, To bolt onto that, I would not advise doing that. Okay. Um, Same mistake. You know, it's funny. My parents were my first clients. And the reason I chose my parents is because I felt like I could kind of screw up and (laughs) they they wouldn't critique me as hard. Okay. But I would say like, if you're asking for like wisdom on like where to start, I would encourage trainers to go out and train other trainers that have already been trained. Oh, um, and and nice. here's why your mom and dad will usually tell you what you want to hear because you're their son. Okay. Um, your spouse may not always be the, the, the best litmus test, you know, for one reason or another is so if you screw up, it could have lifelong implications. I um, <laughs> But trainers are kind of, I don't know, they're they are a little ego driven and they're probably more open to give you criticism. The other thing to keep in mind is they may give you feedback based upon how they train. And so that could be good. It could be bad. But again, one of the tools that we highly advocate is the Kaizen 6. And that's a huge tool for retention. But Kaizen is, is you know, it's a Japanese word for continuous self-improvement. Hmm. And so it basically outlays Six specific questions. Not only are you asking, you know, how did I do? It? You know, how could I do better? But it's a very specific way of asking these questions. That way, when you train the trainer, right, and you learn some things, it also gives you very specific things to go and improve upon because those specifics are really what you'll, you know, use in your training career, right? Things that customers like, things that they don't like and you want to have a a pattern you don't want to have just one instance you want to have multiple examples and curate multiple pieces of feedback that way you can kind of tell okay the majority rules type majority of people are constantly asking for this the majority of people are constantly asking for that and i think that helps to build confidence as a trainer which can talk about later but i would say is just such an incredibly important ingredient and their ability to do well in this profession
3: yeah i think that's a great idea um you know Training a bunch of different styles of trainers and just getting good honest feedback, you know, and then being able to handle that criticism too,
0: which is something that's a lot, it's hard for a lot of people to deal with that criticism, but being able to use it constructively, not sure. just as a personal attack, but just be able to, go, okay, I get it, I'm hearing it, I'm listening, and I'm gonna take yeah. that under advisement and and cha- make the changes that are necessary.
2: You talk about the one skill that'll help you in marriage. There you go. Look no further.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Uh, I've I fired my wife twice from <laughs> training her. I've done it twice. I've been because I. Said, are you texted me? Like, oh, hey, I, I even texted you, Neil. Uh, <laughs> I did. I was like, you got any time you, to train, Sherry?" I was like you got to train, Sherry. <laughs> I did. I was like, and, and it, we. I did. We had a sit down. I said, "Look, honey. I said this is the issues I'm having." I texted Neil. I said, "I'm going to leave the ball in your court. You can either go train with Neil, or we can fix the the issues that we have." And so we ended up. Just hashing out the issues that we had and and things have been good. But it's been interesting to see that transition from having to deal with that, but even just honestly, just having the ability to just say, Okay, honey, I may have to fire you. You know, I think just doing that once I was like, Oh my God, what's gonna happen with this? You know, when I actually did it the first time. So that was quite (laughs) the that was quite the learning experience.
3: Yeah, I've done it a little differently where I'll give my wife a, here's what you're going to do. And then here's what I'm going to do on my own. And you just do that on your own. So we'll work out together instead of me training her.
1: Well, what my wife does uh, still to this day is I have, I still have some people from uh, 10 years ago uh, when I was in a health club in California that I write workouts for remotely. So I use hmm. our sister company PT on the net and I write workouts using PT on the net. And whenever I write one, she says, CC me. And oh. so she has a, a library. She's not in my PT on the net. She's not, a Clint. Yeah. but she has a library of workouts that, that I've written for uh, a couple of ladies in particular and she'll use those workouts. Oh, that's perfect.
0: So I'm kind of training her, but I'm not.
1: know, <laughs> <laughs> it's working out really well. <laughs>
0: but, it's, but like you had inferred earlier, I, we we project our expectations on them, and I think the one thing that when you train a family member or even a really good friend. Is I think we get a little overzealous, and so we're like, No, you need to do this. And we would never say that to a regular client.
1: No, you're right. right. Uh, in my case, since you know, we're, we're on the, the wife training topic, <laughs> does not understand why anybody would do exercise until it hurts or it's uncomfortable. She's like, why would you do that? That's dumb, uh, you know. And I, I do uh, endurance events and so forth that can get pretty tiring and painful. And she's like, that's just dumb. I don't understand why people do that. You guys are, I don't, I don't get it. And so it's real easy with a significant other to, to, you know, push them a little harder. Now, if that was a client that said, you know, I don't want to hurt, I don't want to do this, I don't want to work too hard or whatever, you respect it, you listen to it. No. You ask for feedback. You make sure that your you know, you've turned the dials the right amount so that they enjoy the experience and they want to come back. It's a little harder to do that with family members.
0: <laughs> Big time. I started out at 24 hour fitness. So I went through their education first. And then I also went into IFPA, uh, Dr. Bell's Association. And what I found interesting, so those are typically like we had talked about just generic, you know, this is your three sets, your segments that you go through. And so when you guys are teaching or training coaches, new coaches, you take a much more 3D approach, correct? On how to work out?
1: Uh, absolutely. When we were formed, it, we were formed by, I, it was over 20. I think that, you know, we've kind of said 22, 24, mm-hmm. depending on how level of involvement by, but over 20 professionals in the industry who lived and breathed uh, their specialty, Mm-hmm. And they did it for a living. It wasn't just teaching it in theory. And one of those people was Gary Gray. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from the Gray Institute, we adopted what is called the three-dimensional checkpoints and adapted it over the years uh, to, to be more in line with what we teach in movement style. And it's something that we can teach, for example, in a workshop in, in 30 minutes, an hour, rather than the level of detail that, that uh, Gary's capable of doing and does do. But it's, it, that's what it's all about, is three-dimensional movement and making small tweaks. And you know we've all heard it, making, making 100 exercises out of one exercise. And it's not just for the enjoyment factor, because some people don't want to do three sets of the, other, the same thing, but that's how we move. We move in three planes. We move in completely unpredictable patterns. Uh, if you watch somebody do something, if you watch me pick up stuff around my yard uh, and, and you saw me do that exact same movement in a gym, you'd yell at me and say I was using bad form. Mm. But that's how we actually move. So Mm. understanding that, you know, obviously doing things safely, decreasing load, be careful about the sphere of movement based on that person, but moving in unpredictable patterns and a large variety of patterns is actually helping that person for the sport of life rather than the sport of doing a squat. And Mm. most people are there because they want a better life. They want to be able to move better and do things better, not to be able to squat more. That's a very small percentage of the people that we're
2: training. That's my input. Izzy, you want to add to that? Yeah, just briefly. I think the other component when we think about three dimensions, yeah, you've got your sagittal, your frontal, and your transverse, but we talk a lot about training the human being, Mm -hmm. not just the human body. Mm I think trainers really hyper focus on the human body piece, right? Like joints and angles and compound motions and performance and you know, acute variables. And at the end of the day, we're training human beings. And so if they don't like any of that stuff and they stop coming to the sessions, well, guess what? You don't get to use any of that fancy science and programs. Yeah. And so a big part of what we talk about is the mental and emotional and motivation is an art. It's absolutely oh. an art form. And it's not, you're not just going to high five your way to success as a personal trainer. And so I think trainers that understand a deep nature of science. I always say if, if my background hadn't been in uh, performance enhancement and kinesiology, I would have been in psychology because I love the way that people think and why our customers and clients choose the things that they do, why they struggle with the things they do. And then being able to put all that together and figure out a plan that truly gets them motivated long-term to, yes, come into the session so they can follow the plan. But you know, outside of that to really enjoy the things that they're doing and, and become empowered in that process to to want to take ownership in the plane, take ownership in the program. And again, that's an art. And so you look at our courses like behavior change and exercise, you look at, you know, some of the undertones in our CPT, our fast track. We talk a lot about, you know, how motivation is an art form and how trainers can add that skill set through using our tools, using our systems. But I'll just say that for me is one of a handful of skill sets, if I had to package and say, okay, this is one, two, or three things that you have to have to be successful as a personal trainer, the ones that figure it out, they're the 1% that outlast their 10, 20, 30 year veteran trainers. They're making great money, but that's, you know, those aren't good odds in Vegas. Yeah, no. <laughs> they're not good odds in the industry, but, you know, the other 99% of us, I mean, it's a lot of trial and error, it's a lot of aches and pains. And so, man, if we can just teach trainers that art form, how to motivate and empower clients from the get-go and then continue, you know, continually do that. It's a game changer, man. It's a game changer for their business. It's a game changer in how they see their worth and value in the client's life because they start to see clients light up and they start to see the impact and the difference that they have with potential.
3: Yeah, I think that's great. Cause I th- I think it, you know, that comes from being able to meet your client at their specific level. Yeah. Right, and give them the give them the progression or whatever it is that they need, so that when they leave that session, they get a little win, and they go home and they do something that they weren't able to do, and then they have they feel this success, and then once they feel that, that's when the that's when that intrinsic motivation comes. It comes from the successes that they achieve by themselves.
1: Oh, so. absolutely, and and tie that into what matters to them. So you will use this uh, example a lot, but it's a real one especially uh, as you get older, like myself, uh, be able to do the things with your kids you want to do. Here you are in the gym doing one thing, and then you go home and you do something with your kids um, that you want to be able to do for the next 10, 20, 30 years. That's what it's about. And that's really what's important to them. It's not you. It's not mm-hmm. the d- dumbbells and the cables or the, the clean gym. It's, the, it's, it's outside those four walls. And if what you're doing inside the four walls makes the life better on the outside of the four walls, so that thing that's most important to them, they're going to keep coming back.
0: So is it is it hypocritical for, and I think we see this a lot in the industry, for trainers and coaches bashing on other systems and other modalities, but yet also criticizing cl- the general population for being lazy and not getting off the couch and actually doing something? So you're sending a conflicting message to the average person?
2: Yeah, I would say... Yeah. There's a couple of pieces to that. One, yes, it is hypocritical. So I just finished working through a book by Carol Dweck called Mindset. And Mm -hmm. it talks about the fixed versus the growth mindset. And I think a lot of trainers are very fixed in the way that they do things. That can be really polarizing. I would say the more confident you get as a trainer, the more successful, tenured season, the more open-minded you are, that there is no one way to do anything. You're always open to different methodologies, and systems, because you know, there's multiple ways to get to the goal. But I think that's a lot of a confidence that, you know, sometimes when you're not as confident, you only know this one thing, and that's the way that you know how to win, then you can kind of polarize other methodologies. And, and to your point, like, if you start becoming hypercritical of certain dietary habits, or certain, you know, methodologies that people are using, as opposed to becoming empathetic, which I think is also a maturity thing, too, right? Like, I don't know that I had great empathy at 20. I think I was wired a little different. I think my belief system, my faith, it helps a lot of that because I love people first and fitness second. So I think that helped with some of that. But still, as, as a 20 young 20-something, you're just not well-rounded in your ability to truly understand the struggle that people go through and have good perspective. So I think that's something that you get with age if you allow yourself. That. And then I think you start becoming less hypocritical of other people and more servant minded. You know, how can I help? How can I better understand? So, again, my two cents, you know, Dan's got, you know, he could write the book on this topic. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh,
1: no, a um, few things were going through my mind when you asked the question. Uh, Dennis and, and Israel nailed it. I, I 100% agree that it comes with. Uh, maturity in in the industry and confidence in uh, in yourself. Okay, I I think ability of course is the word we look for often, but it's confidence in yourself and um, respecting and understanding that uh, there's so much out there we don't know. You know, I, I <laughs> back into law enforcement was going to sound a little crazy, but it, the I, the first time I heard something like this was uh, we were when I was going through my own academy and I was taught a certain way to handcuff. People. And somebody raised their hand and asked the the guy in charge, the the, the training officer, "Is this the only way that we should handcuff?" And uh, that training officer said, "If there are a thousand ways to handcuff, learn all thousand ways to handcuff. This mm-hmm. is what I'm going to teach you today. This mm-hmm. is what you're going to become confident in, but never stop learning." And uh, I love that because the more you know, the more you grow. There's I don't believe there's any any bad movement. Uh, there's a poorly prescribed movement. The person may not like it, or it may be outside their bubble of ability, their pre existing condition, et cetera. But all movement is good. Uh, yeah. we, we just have to move. And I definitely personally evolved because I was the old Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, encyclopedia of modern bodybuilding, right. dude. Uh, muscle mag, muscle and fitness, uh, you know, I had them all. And mm-hmm. and that's, that's how I learned originally as a youngster. And when I started seeing new, uh, technologies and new tools. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, all you need is a bar and a dumbbell and a preacher curl on your set, man. And now it's, you know, I, I, I have to, if you, if I turn my camera around, you'd see batch of training equipment, <laughs> that's absolutely all kinds of stuff that 20 years ago, I'd be like, what do you want a cortex for a power plate or a Viper, or, you know, or a rip trainer. It's all good stuff. And, it, you know, learn how to use as much as you can uh, I love what Israel said about, you know, training other trainers. That was something we did at the, the clubs I managed. That was part of our uh, monthly thing is you had to, to work out with another trainer, not only to find out what you're doing well and can improve on, but to learn what they know, because mm-hmm. we get so caught up in only what we know. And then they do something or use a tool or use it in a different way, do something You're like wow. I've been working right alongside you for five years, and I never realized that. So, always be learning. Now, I, I don't believe I'm poo-pooing anything anymore. I, I mean nothing. So, uh, definitely be be confident enough to to try anything out there that's you know backed by some science and and a reputation and so forth, but that the client enjoys. Is within their sphere of ability.
0: So, Israel, if if I'm just a if I'm a listener, a general population, and I'm thinking about hiring a, a trainer, would you advise me to look for someone who's a little older or on that younger spectrum, or is that just based mostly off of what I'm trying to accomplish?
2: Yeah, it's it's hard because it it's said that it's kind of a young man's industry. You know, most of the trainers that get out of college or are trying to figure out what they want to do after high school and try a couple of odd jobs. And then they, you know, kind of stumble into training or they have gotten fit themselves. And so now they're like, well, I want to, you know, share this gift with others. And so I would say majority are kind of, it's a young man's game. So it's hard to say, well, I only want to hire this specific uh, age I think the way that I always approached it at the club level and then even multi-unit level is you need a good array of different age ranges, different skill sets, different specializations, because there's gonna be a target market and target client that you know is gonna gravitate towards that person. So I, I prided myself on having you know a a trainer that was above fifty, mm-hmm. right? Because I knew that a lot of my members would gravitate towards that person just because like attracts like. Right, I want to train someone that understands. He understands the the struggle. Right, struggle's real. Then I wanted to hire a, a good blend of male and female trainers that that also had and knew that's the important piece. Had and knew what their strengths were. A lot of trainers have strengths, but you know, leadership is identifying those strengths with them and then pointing them mm-hmm. out, then pointing them in the right direction of those strengths. And and so I I, I tried to curate that. At the club level and then advocate that multi-unit to be able to ensure that you know we would always have a good mix of trainers because we knew that we had a, a, a vast you know vast mix of members.
0: It's giving people the listeners out there possibilities and things that yeah. they maybe not are thinking of and that's the big that's the big thing there. So if if I'm a trainer on the other side and I'm just new to the industry or relatively new speaking, Israel, would you say that I should, would you recommend me being more of a specialist or more of a generalist in, in the industry?
2: Again, if you're asking my advice, I would say come into it with an open mind and being a generalist because you don't know what you don't know yet and mm-hmm. you haven't earned the right to to be niche. So in other words, like when you're coming in, you're trying to find a way to make a living and if you only want to work with specific youth, well, then you better be a mastermind in marketing and SEO and all website design, mm-hmm. like. And if you are, and you can stay in that groove from day one, great. But most trainers need to start with the generalization, and the next thing you know, they'll fall in love with certain age ranges or demographics that they didn't even know that they enjoyed working because mm-hmm. they've had exposure. Of working with that type of people. For me, it was correct. Mm, I didn't okay. plan on that, but I started as a generalist thinking I just want to help people lose weight and and maybe I want to work with you. But what I found was I kind of liked fixing broke people. I just did. Mm. And so I got my masters in that. And I, you know, my claim to fame was I was the guy that, you know, they would send people to that no other trainer wanted to to take on. And that just kind of became my thing as a trainer, is you know, corrective exercise specialization and performance enhancement type stuff. And I don't know what it was, but I, I liked that crap. And coincidentally, 80% of the members that came in the gym had something going on, a knee issue, low back issue, shoulder issue. And so guess what? They were like, you know who we got to send you to, <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah.
2: right? Um, And it just kind of became my thing, but it didn't happen day one. It happened over trial and error. It happened with you know, lots of education and double downing and triple downing into that craft and specialization. So it wasn't just something that I wanted to do that I was interested in. It was something that I was very effective at doing. And I actually was kind of the expert in, but it took Mm -hmm. probably five to seven years to where I could say like, I could go toe to toe in this specific, you know, craft, you know, so again, I would probably start general, and then get really
0: specific. So it's that general it gives you that nice, solid base. That's right. That's kind of what people have said. You should be able to train pretty much anybody that walks into a gym. But then later on, if you want to get really special specialized, then go ahead and do that. Dan, so we'll start with you on this one. Because we asked Mike DeMora, we had him on from NCEP. Would you support a national uh, board approval for trainers to take or a testing?
1: Oh, That's a good question. I think I need to understand better what you mean, because uh, when you say board or uh, standardized testing, that is what we do with the NCCA, right? It's a standardized Mm -hmm. process that any NCCA accredited organization needs to go through. Mm -hmm. It's very laborious. It's very expensive. It's rooted in mathematics and uh, psychometrics, really. Mm -hmm. And so forth. So what do you do you mean something regulated by government? Something like
0: pretty much like, you know, I got to take the bar exam if I'm a lawyer, I've got to be able to pass the medical exam if I'm if I want to be a doctor or a nurse. So same thing with our industry. Is that something that no matter who you learn from, is there should there be a standardized test that everyone has to take and pass? to be in this industry.
1: Okay. Uh, This is personal uh, answer, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not PTA Global Stance. No, 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 that's perfect, yeah. Um, Two things. Uh, First of all, when we talk about board, or in other words, government. Um, I think that often opens a can of worms, and the unfortunate thing with government—I'm and and I'm not, uh, definitely hope I'm not coming across a conspiracy theory <laughs> or anything—but I worked <laughs> for the government for 22 years, Okay. and it's there's there's lobbies, there's folks yeah. that have more influence that tend to be more successful. Israel and I had a conversation this morning about foods and wheat and corn and soy, et cetera, and there's a reason why those those industries are so massive. They have a a huge lobby.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and so, uh, you know, that, that's, I think that the touchy part anytime government is involved done correctly. I don't think it's a bad idea, but I want to, I want to add to that because I'm going to give an example of what I think would be, I believe would be wonderful. And that is if we had a process more like what, for example, uh, EREPS or Europe Active uh, utilizes, okay. where there's mandatory in-person training and there's a mandatory in-person assessment. So I take, and, and not only go through the online education, so our partners uh, that are EREPs accredited go through the online course that we have, that certification course. Then they do six days in a classroom that's uh, hands-on. And so there's breakouts and activities and so forth. So you're applying what you learn. There's a 70, I think it's 70 page learning achievement portfolio that fill out where you find a role player. And that person, you take them through a program design questionnaire or, or PDQ or interview. You take them through an interview, a nutrition interview, assessment, body fat, all those things, flexibility, uh, so forth, like like a, a lot of clubs do. You take them through all of that. And then you uh, build programs for them, three different phases, sensory, motor, force, and power. And step-by-step with this client, all the way to now you show up with that role player. There's a mm-hmm. assessor. It's the two of you. And an assessor, and uh, you treat that person as a client. You greet them, you shake their hand, you provide them a towel. you, you know, you ask them the questions about injuries, how you feeling today. That the DRO is what we use, daily readiness observation. Take them, and then at that point, the assessor says, "Do the force workout." So you, it's unpredictable. You have to deliver a, a workout. You have to deliver it safely, adjust equipment properly, et cetera, et cetera. And it's a pass or fail. Then you take the final exam, the written mm-hmm. exam. So I love that model. I liken it to an orthopedic surgeon. I wouldn't want somebody operating on my knee who has never seen a cadaver, has never you know, done any type of internship. They've just read the books. It, it sounds a little bit rough because that's how we do things in the United States. But that would be my personal opinion is I think we need uh, more hands-on and we need a assessment in person. But I always look at it this way and it, it's been this way since I started in the private personal training industry. Would I let that person train my mother?
0: Exactly. Yes.
1: And um, that's, <laughs> you don't always like the answer to that one.
0: Yes. I think we believe in that big time. Uh, I've always said for me, I, I look at a trainer and I say, would I turn, would I let them train my mom, my dad, my wife? And and that says a lot. That's a huge validation. Israel.
2: That's my two cents. Oh, oh, the- yeah. So I'll kind of bolt onto that. One, the short answer is, You know, the minimum would be NCCA accreditation. You got a lot of insta trainers out there that aren't Mm -hmm. certified, that are, you know, making a couple bucks here and there. And candidly, they're giving the rest of the industry a bad name. The ones that have put sweat equity in, the ones that have sat down and taken the test and made the investment. And it's disheartening, it's discouraging. In order for us to rebuild after COVID, we're going to have to do something pretty bold. Dan and I have had this conversation a couple of years ago. So when you talk about, okay, what's the next level? You know, NCC accreditation to kind of CYA for the gym business to make sure that, okay, trainers can at least come in and something happens in the process, someone gets hurt. At least you can fall back on, well, here's their credentials and this, that, and the other. And that's, you know, obviously a, a strategy to prevent against liability, even though we're a very litigious industry. The next phase that I see about this, we talk about, okay, how do we, how do we deepen our value? And how do you get to that next level where I think what you're talking about, like a national exam above an NCCA accreditation? I think you're going to have to have people from multiple industries, people from the medical community, mm-hmm. people from the insurance community, people registered dietitians. You're going to have to have to have some some, you know, multiple industry experts that come in and sit at this board and develop this as far as subject matter experts. And that board would be a way to, I would say, separate the gap from clients having to pay versus insurance backing that. Back. Oh. And that's, you know, that can be a huge strategy for us to become, you know, back on the men as a fitness industry, mm-hmm. right? uh, back on the men economically. It's a win-win for insurance companies because if people can actually get fit, they're a lot less likely to spend, you know, the tens of thousands of dollars that they're spending for average on, you know, type two diabetes right now per year on surgeries and all kinds of stuff. So it's kind of like spend to save type deal. Yeah. And so you're benefiting that economically, but there's ha- there would have to be some very, you know, specific standards of excellence to get to that level to where now you're going to you know, accept insurance reimbursement. The other thing that I could see beneficially for that mm-hmm. is it'll bridge the gap right now. in this whole biggie Tupac East coast, West coast between the medical and the fitness. Do not want to recommend to your yeah. Joe trainer because my Joe Schmo trainer is just going to undo all the great work that I've, I've done. Right. But if I know that that Joe Schmo trainer has this specific credential, this specific accreditation, that is backed by the physical therapy community, the medical community, insurance companies, all of this stuff, then now it's, it creates this free flow of referrals and networking mm-hmm. and trust. And that gap is what we need to get to the next step of evolution, I would say, in, in how do we best serve, right? The seven and a half billion people across the world that need our help mm-hmm. in fitness and health and everything. else. like, that's how we take it themselves. So- Hopefully, someone from the government or Congress is listening to this, and I'll collect my royalties later. (laughs)
3: Yeah, that's a fantastic idea Uh, right there. Tupac,
2: by the way.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Israel, you're right, though. I mean, we've got the training world bashing on the clinicians, and the clinicians are calling the training world idiots. So you get this back and forth. But I've always recommended, especially to new trainers and coaches, to have the confidence to be able to train a clinician, even if it's free, just to get that clinician to trust you, right? Huge. And then you get this clinician that's like, okay, I know what he or she brings to the table, and now I'm willing to refer my patients out to this person. But you got to have the confidence to be able to go up and do this, and that's the thing that a lot of... People are like, eh, I don't, I don't want to put myself out there, but you, you have to. It's one of the only ways that you're really going to help succeed. So, I mean, I, I think right down the street from where we're at, that we have National Avenue, which is just all medical people. And I tell coaches in the area, I'm like, take your ass down that street, and I don't care, knock on every freaking door, but get somebody on. And so that, that's where it starts is just having that confidence to be able to put yourself out there and say, hi, hi, my name is, and start the conversation.
3: We built our personal practices by these referrals from doctors, chiropractors, physical therapists. Um, so it's, I mean, it's an endless referral base right there.
1: Brilliant idea. Uh, and we happen to have that in our education. So uh, Justin Price right. has an entire section on referrals yeah. and it's professional referrals, not yes. your, you know, ask your client for a referral. Mm-hmm. It's exactly what you two are talking about. You nailed it. Absolutely.
0: Because that you're not spinning your wheels, throwing money out the window or burning money, essentially, with all the marketing stuff out there that may or may not pay off for you. So your ROI could be, you know, and, and anybody's just if you saw somebody walking down the street, just throwing money out the window, you'd be like, you're an idiot. But yet we see coaches doing the same thing, running ads, running ads, and they're just spending all that money. And they're not getting anything back in return for it. So that's a big. That's 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 another facet of why PTa Global, for people out there, new coaches, new trainers that are thinking about gaining a, a really good support system behind them. That's another reason why PTa Global is one of those organizations that you really, frankly, should be looking into if you, if you haven't already. So well, gentlemen, thank you for joining us today. You've brought some really good, good concepts and some ideas out that uh, hopefully. Listeners are are tuned into. We always want to bring new ideas, fresh concepts, thinking outside that box, eliminating that box, and just be free flowing and sure. Let that creativity start to and and adaptation and the ability to improvise and get around obstacles. So thank you very much. So and uh, we look forward to hopefully down the road having some PTA Global slash Stick Mobility uh, events. That's something we've been in the talks with. So to our listeners out there, keep an eye out for that. So we're hopefully getting something up and running on that end. Uh, so that way we get both companies uh, presenting some great stuff.
1: Dan, go ahead. Two things. Yeah. Number one, uh, well, let me start with this. We 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 had discussion about where does the trainer start? Is Should it be general or specialized? Mm-hmm. And then how do they choose a specialty, et cetera. But we were still talking about specializing in training or human movement, right? Mm-hmm. Performance, corrective fat loss, etc. So for the listeners out there, remember, there are a lot of pathways to go and you're seeing it right now or hearing it right now with Neil and Dennis, for example. What is that pathway? It's entrepreneurship. It's the creation of a product and programming. It's education. So there are a lot of ways to go when you enter into this industry. What about myself uh, personally? Education. I'm passionate about education. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Israel would feel the same way, uh, education and helping others to, to become successful uh, at something that that is still needs, you know, there's still room for improvement for all of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so it's we're not limited to specializing in movement. We can become instructors. We can become uh, collegiate type, you know, uh, teach at a college, junior college, four-year, four-year college. We can uh, promote into management like Israel did. And oversee you know hundreds of locations and and thousands of people, so don't don't limit yourself on on what your you know what your your opportunities are. Uh, just look at the people that you're listening to, or or you know right now, uh, as an example, and Dennis and Neil are shining examples of taking that passion, taking that education, and then turning it into something that's going to help all of us move better, feel better, and that's through stepping outside the box, taking chances, becoming an entrepreneur backing it up with solid education, and then embracing all the others in the industry, not just saying, I have the, the solution. And you're shining examples of what it should be to evolve in this industry.
0: Well, thank you no, very thank you, much. Dan. Thank you. Appreciate thank that. You, Appreciate that. So, that thank you again. And uh, we look forward to having you gentlemen on again. We just wanted to introduce you to, the pe- to our listeners who may or may not know what PTA Global is. And next time we have you on, we're going to get much more specific and some much more specific topics. So we will look forward to doing that down the road. Till next episode, be good to each other.